Hey, good morning. My name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here and welcome to uh, our house. We're really happy that you're here with us this morning in your houses. Uh, there was an interesting trend that I've came across recently that, of course, being a pastor piqued my interest. And that was this, that prayer is on the rise. More people are praying and more people are searching how to pray. Uh, a couple of interesting um, researches have been done, one with the Pew Research Group. Uh, they did a poll to find out what the numbers were of people who have been praying specifically for coronavirus to come to an end. And this is what they found. 55% of all American adults have prayed for this to end. 55%. And of that, 15% of all people who say that they rarely or never pray have prayed for coronavirus to come to an end. And if that wasn't interesting enough, 36% of people who classified themselves as religious nuns, which isn't just a category of Catholic clergy, but is a category of people who say that they have no religious affiliation, 36% of them say that they have prayed for the coronavirus spread to end. Let me just say, if you are one of those people in the group that say that you pray rarely or never, or if you classify yourself as a religious nun, we're really happy that you're here with us. Thanks for spending a couple minutes for, with us this morning. There was another research uh, paper that came out from the University of Copenhagen, and they were looking specifically at Google and at Google Trends. And what they found was that on every continent, across the world, in every language that Google has qualifying uh, research based on, that the word prayer and how to pray has trended up in every continent, in every language since the middle of March, which of course shouldn't be a shocker to us because the middle of March is when this pandemic became truly global and started to affect people all across the world. We all started to stay at home at that point. So prayer has been searched more, how to pray has been searched more in the past month than it has in the past five years worth of data. And that includes times like Easter and Christmas and Ramadan and Passover, all the religious holidays. It's searched more than any of those other times. Basically what this is all telling us is that life changed, coronavirus brought us desperately to our knees and we started to pray all over the world. You know, last week I was walking our dog, which I do every morning. Uh, it's part of my morning routine. And so I'm walking our dog. And as I'm doing that, I'm just thinking about life and what's going on. Uh, I'm praying about things. I'm praying about our church, people in our church, about our, my own family, and, and just thinking through a lot of stuff. And as I was doing that, I felt like the Holy Spirit told me very clearly just this one simple word. He said, ask. And when he said that, I knew exactly what he was getting at. I knew what he was telling me that I needed to ask because I had been praying for a lot of things, for a lot of people to be healed, for a lot of uh, people to be protected, for God to move in a lot of different ways. But the one thing that I had been hesitant to ask for was for God to actually come and end this 
once and for all and do a massive miracle. And the reason was simple, was that I wasn't sure that I was confident enough that it could happen. I wanted to pray for things that I had faith for and I wasn't sure I had enough faith for that, to be honest. And then Jesus told me clearly that I needed to pray for it, so I've begun doing that. I've started praying along that line. Eugene Peterson is an author who I love, and he said, in prayer we are most ourselves. It's the one place in which we can be totally ourselves. But it's also in the act in which we move beyond ourselves, in that we come to be formed and defined not just by the sum total of our experiences, but by Jesus to whom and through whom, and by whom we pray. What Eugene Peterson's saying here is that prayer forms us spiritually. Of course, the things that we pray for come from our experiences and what's going on in our lives. They come from uh, what we value and what's going on around us. But when we pray, when we continue to pray, something begins to change inside of us and we begin to encounter Jesus even more because in prayer we learn who Jesus is and that begins to change us. So when we pray, you and I, the millions of people across the world who are praying for coronavirus to end, what we're saying is really three things. We're saying one, that we believe that God exists and that he's listening. We're saying two, that we believe that God is good. And we're saying three, that God can be trusted to answer with generosity and with wisdom. He exists, he's listening, he's good, and he can be trusted to be generous and wise in how he responds. This last point is what I want us to really kind of just sit with this morning as we talk about prayer and as we continue our series called Stories with uh, that Jesus Told. And we're going to look at this story that Jesus told following uh, his disciples asking him how to pray. And the question is simply this, can God be trusted to answer with generosity and with wisdom in a time of coronavirus? Let's take a look. If you have a Bible, open it up. Uh, Luke chapter 11. Uh, go ahead and go grab it. Uh, if you have it on your phone, open it up. If you have a tablet, laptop, something, open it up and read along with me. And let's see what Jesus has to teach us about prayer. Luke 11 verse 1 says this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. We're going to pause there, because then he goes on to tell us a story. But you might be sitting there and you're like, Stephen, I think that you missed some stuff. That doesn't sound like the Lord's Prayer that I learned. That's because we're looking at Luke, whereas Matthew tells it a little bit differently, but they're getting to the same point. It's all the same stuff. Don't worry. But it starts off with Jesus, with the disciples saying, Jesus, teach me how to pray, which is such a great question, right? Such a rich and deep question for them to ask. And Jesus comes out with this super simple prayer 
that would have either felt like an insult uh, or like the secret code that had been laid out before them, whichever way that they looked at it. But he starts it off with the, just these incredibly simple lines. But it's so rich. It's so deep when you dig into it. You know, I was thinking about this and it actually reminds me of the first time that I had flourless chocolate cake. You're probably like, really? That's what it makes you think of? But hold on. So the first time that I had it, I was super skeptical because I like chocolate cake with flour. I have no problem with flour. There was no need to have flourless chocolate cake. But somebody else had purchased it and it was at this fancy bakery, so I felt like I had to go along for the ride. So I go ahead and I put my fork into it and I bite it. And all of a sudden, my life was changed in a deep, profound way. It was so rich, it didn't taste like just a, a moldable mound of cocoa powder. It had really good flavor, all the right things in it. It was just pretty much a perfect piece of chocolate cake. And instead of thinking, why not put flour, I walked away thinking, do we actually need flour? Is flour necessary? It seems like an extra that just adds fluff and air. I don't think it's actually needed in anything. It made me question everything. And that's what the Lord's Prayer does. It's so simple, but it's so rich. There's so much in it that when you start digging in, you start to wonder, like, did I actually need the things that I thought that I needed before? That's what Jesus lays out here. Listen to it again. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. When I pray this, I replace hallowed be your name because that doesn't sound like anything I would ever say, to be honest. Um, one of my spiritual directors taught me at one point to, to say instead, Father, your name is holy. It's a, an appropriate Greek translation there. And so I feel confident with that one. So try this with me. Father, your name is holy. Your kingdom come. That's good, right? It's rich. It's deep. Remember when we're praying, we're saying that God exists, that he's good, that he's listening. And R.T. France is a theologian. He wrote about this first sentence within the Lord's Prayer saying this. Prayer arises out of and expresses the confidence of those who know God as Father and therefore can rely on his loving care. We persist in prayer not because we need to persuade God, but in order to foster that relationship of dependent trust. We're not saying this list of needs just so that God can be aware of what it is that we need. He knows what we need. We're saying it so that we can be formed. This is about forming us as followers of Jesus. It's about us starting to know who Jesus is. We pray, Father, you are holy, your kingdom come. Give us today the things that we need to eat. Forgive us our sins and help us to forgive other people. Uh, help us not to jump straight into things that will lead us down a bad path, that will tempt us to do wrong. We pray for these things, not because Jesus forgot about it, not because we're worried that if we don't say it, it won't happen. We pray it because we know that he loves us and that he's listening, that he cares for the things that matter to us. He cares about how we treat other people. He cares about how we deal with sin and with evil in our life. We pray for these things not because they're just they're things that we need, although that, that's not a bad thing to pray for. It's good to pray for what we need. But we pray for them also because in praying for them, we become formed into people who know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in our lives.
we see track records of Jesus moving in our lives through prayer. So let's keep going as Jesus teaches us how to pray in Luke 11, verse 5. Jesus says, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose that the one inside says, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And then in verse 13, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, this story reminds me of our honeymoon. I had this really great idea. We were going down to Miami, Florida, and so I thought, what if we rented a boat? I mean, everybody stays at a hotel or at a resort or, or wherever at an Airbnb. What if we rented a boat? That's just over the top, right? That would be fun. So I looked on Airbnb, found one for a reasonable price, booked it. It was good, excited about it. There was one major problem with this equation, though. I know absolutely nothing about boats like nothing at all. So they put the size of the boat in there. I don't know what that means. Doesn't tell me anything. I didn't realize the fact that we were going down there in, in November and that November in Miami was gonna be really, really windy because I know nothing about boats. I just thought this sounded like a fun idea. So we go down there and we arrive at about like nine o'clock at night. We get off our plane, we, we get our car, we drive to the dock. When we get there, it is super windy, really, really windy. The guy shows us to the boat and it is moving back and forth and back and forth. I'm having to grab onto stuff so that I don't fall down and look like a fool in front of this guy. Uh, like it was terrible. We were on it for five minutes and I wanted to die. It was a horrendous idea. So we get off the boat, we tell the guy, thanks, but no thanks, we're gonna have to cancel it because it's just not going to work. And so then we're stuck at about 10 or 10.30 at night in Miami on the first night of our honeymoon without a place to stay. So I call up my friend Gary, who lives in Miami, and I'm like, Gary, you gotta help us. So we find, he helps us, we end up finding a place, we go to it, and it looks like an apartment building. We go up, we knock on the door, nothing. We knock on the door some more, nothing. Finally, this woman comes and opens the door and she just stares at us. So I pull out my phone and I'm like, hi, uh, we just made a reservation. We're renting a place here, blah, blah, blah. And I, I do everything. I'm trying to be as friendly as I can because it's late at night and she does not want to deal. And she does this. She closes the door in my face and walks away. <laughs> and so at that point, I'm like, oh no. It's over, we're done. We're sleeping in the car. There's nothing that good coming of this. It's finished. Two minutes later, thankfully, she comes and opens the door again. 
She had seen our reservation. They had faxed it to her. Who faxes things? But they had faxed her our reservation. She handed us our key, tells us what room number, goes back into her apartment, closes the door, says zero other words to us the entire time. But we had made it. We had finally gotten in. You know, when I think about this story uh, that Jesus tells, uh, it just makes me think like, who are the people? Who are the players in this? Who's, who's the host that has a surprise guest at a stupid hour in the night? Who's the cranky next door neighbor? What's going on here? And what Jesus is telling us is that you and I, we are the host. We have friends with bad manners who are showing up late at night when we haven't gone to the grocery store, when we haven't changed the sheets. We're not ready for them. And so we have to go to our neighbor's house to ask for food, to be good, hospitable uh, hosts. And it doesn't work super well. Verse 8 says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will get up and give you as much as you need. Now, here's the reality. You and I, we're respectable people. We live in Massachusetts. We are polite. We know boundaries and we live within those boundaries, right? We are rule followers in this state. We're respectable and respectable people don't go to their neighbor's house at midnight and bang on their door until they give them a loaf of bread. We would never think about that. We would figure out something else. But you know who does go to their neighbor's house at midnight to ask for a loaf of bread? desperate people. People with very little self-regard. Uh, shameless people. People who care more about getting what it is that they need than they care about how they look to their neighbor at that moment. Whose need is greater than their self-image. That's who goes and does this. Here's what Jesus is teaching us. He's teaching us that when we pray, we need to go at it like it's the most important thing to us. We need to pray for what we desperately want, not just for uh, the, the, the things that are respectable, the things uh, that we can feel com comfortable actually saying out loud. Don't hesitate to ask for good gifts for God, for what you really need, because he already knows what you need. He's already promised to give them to you. You just need to ask. Which, of course, makes God the cranky neighbor, right? That seems a little theologically problematic to me. Uh, but Jesus is telling a story. Remember that Jesus is trying to make a point about how we need to act, not about uh, how God uh, is going to respond to it necessarily. He's saying that we, when we start asking without shame, with, uh, without a, a, a sense of self-regard, that God actually responds really, really well to that. You see, Jesus responds well to shameless people, and he wants us to come to him for what it is that we really need. And when we do, you remember what he says that will happen? He says, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door is going to be open. The, the meaning of these three words, ask, seek, and knock, they seem so simple in the English language, but they're so deep when you dig into them. Ask means to beg, crave, desire, to require. Seek means an absolute searching for something that you need deeply and desperately. 
Knock is knowing with certainty that on the other side of that door is going to be the thing that you need, the thing that you've been searching for. You beg, you crave for what it is that you need. You search knowing that there's something that you have to find and then you knock knowing that on the other side of that door is going to be the answer that you're looking for. That is how we are supposed to pray, Jesus tells us. That is how we're supposed to come to him and ask for what it is that we need. Remember what I said at the beginning? Prayer is three things. It's saying that God exists and that he's listening, that he's good, and that he can be trusted to answer with generosity and with wisdom. Jesus wants to answer our prayers. He really, truly does. When Jesus encouraged me about a week ago to really ask for what it is that I need, he wasn't just doing that for like some exercise. He was doing it because he wanted me to ask for something that he could fulfill, something that he could actually do. And he wanted me to be honest about what it is that I really, truly wanted in that moment. And I knew what he meant. It was convicting, but it was also course correcting. So friends, how do we pray during this time? We pray with a deep knowing that God can be trusted to answer with generosity and with wisdom because he's here with us in the midst of this. He's not on the other side of the door. He's not cozy in bed, refusing to come to the door to answer us. He's not coming up with excuses for why he's not going to do the things that we're asking him to do. He wants us to come and to ask him to, to, to keep asking, to keep knocking, to keep searching, because when we do it, forms something in us so that when we see him answer, we'll realize that he wasn't far away at all. He was actually right there with us in the midst of what was going on. He was right in the place that we were asking him to be the entire time because we've been formed. We've become, we've started to know who it is that he is and how good he is and generous to us. There's a story about a Jewish man in a concentration camp during World War II that I want to tell you as we come to an end. And this man was forced to go and clean toilets which was probably not a fun job. Uh, it's not a fun job to do here at my house. Uh, it wasn't a fun job for him to do. And as he's on his knees scrubbing these toilets, the guards are mocking him and making fun of him and poking and prodding and just being rude all over the place. And one of the guards looks at him and he says, who's your God now? Where's your God now? And the man never lifts his eyes off of the toilet. He just keeps his head down and keeps cleaning, keeps doing what he's supposed to be doing, never raises his voice, but he just says quietly and confidently with his head bowed as he's cleaning, he says, where's my God now? He's right here in the middle of this muck with me. Friends, when we pray, we're acknowledging that God is listening that he's good, and that he's here with us. When we pray asking for what it is that we really need in a time of pandemic like we've never seen in our lives, when we ask him to come and to move and to stop this, what we're really saying is we're answering that question. We're saying, where is God now? He's right here 
in the middle of this muck with you and with I. And friends, that's really good news in a really hard time. We're going to go to a time of worship. And I want to encourage you during this time to, to invite the Holy Spirit to be there in your house, in the middle of whatever it is that's going on in your heart and in your mind, to invite him to be there personally right here and right now as we worship, as we engage with him, as we ask him to come and to be present. Let's pray, and then Beth's going to lead us in a few songs. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that you are here, that you're listening, and that you love us so much. I pray for each person who's struggling to see your goodness, struggling to see your generosity in this time, to encounter you, to be aware of you, to be confident in the fact that you're moving in their life and in our world. Help us to ask with clarity. Help us to engage with you and allow that encounter to form us into people who know you and know your goodness personally in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.